Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. Pleased to be back with you with my dear friend Robert Sardello. Although sadly, this is the final, the sixth and final installation of our talks on integral spiritual psychology. Um, we bit off a lot this time. We're going to talk about the soul of America. Fairly timely topic, I say. <laughs> We'll even confine that a little more and concentrate on the soul of this land. Mm. And it, it touches into America, but America's also has its unique soul. And this is the soul in relation to the land. So, um, in the collected notes, you pointed out that the humans living here prior to the Europeans arriving would refer to themselves in such a way as that they were the land. They weren't the people on the land or the people of the land. They identified with the land itself. Yeah. I don't even think that they thought of that. They just, they just, I mean, that, that just is given. It was only really quite a bit later when this uh, uh, Frank Waters, who's a, golly, he's an important writer and my favorite writer of all times. <laughs> he's, uh, he was born in 1902, I think. At any rate, he lived in Taos and was very close to the Pueblo Indians and then spent three years living with the Hopi, which are the, the Hopi are, are the original people of this land and probably came from Asia. Uh, in fact, the other day I just read it was probably 7,000 er years earlier than people thought. Wow. At any rate, he, uh, he lived with them for three years and they told him their whole cosmology that he, he then uh, trans had translated and is now the book called The Book of the Hopi. It's one of the truly great sacred books of the world. And uh, uh, that's, and he, he, he's the one that, that's, concludes or from that says the the Native Americans are the land. There's no difference between the land and the Native Americans. So yeah. when uh, when I began the work working with the heart 
1992 or so, I began to notice at first it was, it was, you know, another form of kind of soul presence with others and it was meant to be between people. But I began to notice sensing and perceiving the, the land and, the, and nature, it, it began to change. It just began to be in a kind of incredible intimacy and, and that and it led to this, in, this, this investigating the relation of heart and earth. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so obviously that that resonance is not, was not with the Europeans who came here. And do we know, do we have a sense of what, what the early colonizers made of that? Did they, did they notice something that was different or did they simply dismiss it as uh, primitivism or something? Well, in terms of our way of working, I think that they also indeed were present with the land, but not in the same way as the Native Americans at all. Because as we'll see, there, there's, I mean, the, the Native Americans, they, they have the sense that they really still do this relation of heart and earth, you know, where you take the, if you take the letter H, heart and move it at the end it's earth an anagram they call it but but it's way deeper than that it, it, it's the first kind of clue that there is this reciprocity and unity of earth and heart but there and, and so so but there's there's this other force of earth there is another force within earth here that is one of of death it's a force of death and a force of greed. And I think the people who came, they were much more in tune with that force than they were with the heart and, uh, and were immediately, you know, started developing the land, cutting the trees, cutting, you know, uh, and immediately got caught in the, in the fantasies of gold. And so, so there's that. See that it's so, so interesting that there's a like they bring some another dimension that looks like it's oh this is terrible look what they're doing and and it is it is in a certain way terrible <laughs> and we're suffering it now terribly but uh, somehow because this is the land of these two two forces of the heart on the one hand and this other force is what Rudolf Steiner speaks of as Ariman. It's it's just an actual spiritual being of the earth, who and that being it promotes in the background of our awareness promotes uh, promotes the activities that center around death. I mean, power and particularly greed, particularly greed. And greed is this really strange form of living death. I mean, because it's so, 
it, greed is a way of forgetting that we die. <laughs> you know, we get kind of taken into greed and there's nothing else. There's, there's not a sense of death anymore. It's more like uh, keeping it at, a, at bay with the materialistic desires. And, and that don't really have to do with things, often it's desire for materialistic power. So just to try to paint a clear picture, um, Steiner, as far as I know, he's the only person that said something like this. He said that these Arimonic forces were, are here, they're everywhere, but they're here in a certain way. Yeah. And we can, perhaps we can look at Native American culture as a way of being with those forces in a, in a non, in a balanced way. Yeah. Well, in the heart is the balance for sure. And uh, so they never had trouble with greed <laughs> at all. Right. And so that it is saying that uh, they, the Native Americans, are the bearers of the force of balance. But yeah, now how to do this without? I mean, because because it's not so much a matter of trying to, in any way, go back to the indigenous soul or anything of that sort. It's, it's saying, well, the land itself is the, a place of heart forces. And, and then, we, then we can ask, well, how do we today make connection with those heart forces? How does it show up in this land? And how is this complexity between greed and death and heart how is it how does it show up in the world? <clears throat> so greed is a it's a it's an egotism, it's a, it's for a materialistic power. It's for, um, it serves to give the illusion of a kind of immortality or a dismissal of death. And the effect of that is actually, in a paradoxical way, to actually create a culture of death. It does. Uh... You know, if we look at it, the, a particular way in which those destructive forces do live in the earth and bring about greed, uh, it's the Native Americans in the region of upper, well, the region around New York City where the Native Americans lived, that they were very, very aware of these forces of greed within the earth. And they have actually to do with iron. Uh, and iron is, you know, iron is the force in the blood that 
is responsible for the forces of the will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Steiner says that, that, that these, these forces of, of iron in the blood, in a spiritual way, actually come from meteorites. The fault not, not laying around, but as they imagine how many meteorites are falling every moment. It just and they are they are bringing spiritual sense of iron into the world. That's different than the iron that is in a way trapped in the earth. And it's interesting that that you know it was at this place. It's, the name of it is Hightor. It's right near Tappan Zee Bridge near New York City. That way, it was an iron mining area. That's where they. That's where the, all the original iron to make the steel of the skyscrapers of New York City comes from. So you get that feeling of, oh my goodness, look at this transformation. Even in say the twin towers, or in a certain way, or or were citadels of greed. I don't. I'm not judging it. Just describing it means that those that was the financial center of the world. That's where all that all those forces of how do you get more money and collect money, and that's where they are centered. So there is this this really interesting relation between the earth and and uh, the way that America, one aspect of it develops. And the difference between digging the iron out of the earth as opposed to being with the iron in this more spiritual sense, yeah. is it these forces of will, it's really interesting, so the Obviously, it takes tremendous forces of will to to extract iron from the earth. But I almost have this imagination of as we do that, we actually inflate our will even more. Oh yes, that's what it does. That's what it does. That's that picture of the, you know, I mean, again, it's just descriptive. New York. Just look at New York City, and and it's the it's these harmonic forces of that kind of iron made vertical in the world mm. Mm. and then they kind of house the housing but they're not they're not neutral i mean that steel in those buildings are radiances of the for, the, the forces of will the forces and, uh, of will in the service of greed greed and now that see that kind of metamorphosis changes into corporate America. Very interesting word. Means corporate doesn't only mean a group, it means but like the, the corporeal body. The cor- that's 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 the least well, it's an important aspect, but it, it's only one aspect of the human being. The corporeal is the the it's, it's not the physical, it's it's the the body that is bounded by this form that we see each other, that's the corporeal body. But a corporation in the our corporeal body is the dying body. Mm. This is every moment dying away. Mm. No, within I don't it, it's the, the whole body, every cell of the body is replaced quite frequently. 
Mm -hmm. We're always with 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 death. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that makes life possible, makes makes a sense of life possible. But a corporation is just, you know, it means it's the it's the organized body of the forces of death. And which you kind of see that there's if you're really really a corporate person, you don't you're, you're you have to be clever and cold and calculating and you absolutely you have to look like you're heartful and and you know and really really get to know you and but it's all in the service of you know of uh, of money and and there's there, there's that really interesting relation of death and money. Uh, we see, I mean, all our coinage and the, the, every every bill has an image of a hero of the land, someone who gave their life for this land. So that that's, that's like our tender is death. Mm -hmm. And it, how different that is, for example, than... Um, and the, the Iroquois, where, uh, well, let's see, where they, were, they, they were very, very close to both death and grieving. Grieving. That's, it's this, I don't know if I'll go into it, maybe, maybe later. It has to do with the story of Hiawatha. And uh, he was really the individual who brings the absolutely necessary force of grief as a the most important dimension of life i mean if i have to define the human being you know i, I would say the human being is one who grieves mm -hmm. without grief we're not Fully, that's saying that's what makes us most human, is the recognition of the closeness of death. And it's not something that's merely confined to ceremonies at certain times. It's, it's, it's no. very much present. That's our difficulty. Is that again in this in this sort of corporatized America, um, uh, grief becomes ceremonial only. It doesn't, it's not a part of ongoing life. So when 9-11 occurred, which was like this moment of, of death, there was, there was, you know, deep grieving, but also, you know, our president at the moment said, don't let this stop, go out and shop. That's what he said, remember? <laughs> Bush said, go out and shop. And and grieving didn't last. I mean, we, we remember it every year and, and kind of feel it every year, but it's not an ongoing sensibility kept away. And in the notes, you, you suggest that this, <clears throat> Uh, that because we keep death and life so separate, 
where we really should be in a mode of life, death, death, life, because it's always happening. It is the primary reality. But because we try to take death and put it over here, postpone it or not look at it or however you want to put it, it prevents us from perceiving certain aspects of nature having to do with her her ability to be self-creating, how she is always becoming. We're not, we're no longer with uh, living, because we've so pushed death away, we are no longer with the living processes all around us. Right. In order to be present to the ongoing creating that is the force, the universal force of love happening, to be present to that requires this kind of inner intimacy of heart and death, which is the experience of that intimacy is calmness. Being able to be perfectly calm is the is the intimacy of heart being able to really feel the you know the the union of body and others and earth and and death happening simultaneously so see because we've separated them particularly death is death and in love and then in the middle is filled with fear and fear is what keeps turmoil happening. There's the anxiety and fear and, and you know, trying to solve the anxiety by doing more. So it's kind of a word that, that, that the, the intimacy of heart and life and dying and death and grieving are all this union, unity of heart and earth and death. That's why I mean the the native. Well, when we say the Native Americans are the land, that's that's what we mean. That kind of uh, awareness that for them, I don't know what. To, well, yeah, they they knew they knew also, yeah. They knew also that the manner of maintaining that is living ritualistically. But we that doesn't mean, I mean, so we have to kind of refine or that, that what, what earth is here, come to a union unity with heart. And to live ritual doesn't necessarily mean formal ritual. It just means living bodily. That's ritual. I mean, they, they, and the Native Americans didn't sit down and make a plan about their rituals. They, they were the natural movements of the body in relation to the earth and the sky and the planets and the and nature. That's it's just how do you express how do you express this unity? And you have to you have to move. Yeah. It's almost like the expression, well, I don't think it's like, 
the expression would have just emerged out of the yeah out of the interaction yeah yeah absolutely that's the natural way of that unity continuing but we've gotten to a place where we can appreciate intellectually we can appreciate the value of ritual or ceremony but unfortunately <laughs> we're still stuck in our head we can we can only think of it in terms of something you plan out and yeah. onto your your world yeah so but if we can now imagine ritual not so much as a set of you know certain kinds of action but it's how we are with the world having a sense of not, not just being with the world with what we do but how are we with it the soul that's the soul sense and um so so this is a ritual what we're doing right now we're in ritual mm. very clearly look you know, it's it, it's as a or it's kind of particularly if it's coming from uh not so much from what we already know but it's kind of you know taking what we know and remaking it into something new that's ritual uh and it's it can't be lived from here up. That's why, like like when Jung went to Taos, New Mexico, in 1925, and spent the day there with a Native American whose name is Mirabal. And I, I happen to know his grandson. Really? <laughs> He's a great musician, an astounding musician. Anyway, at the end of that day, Mirabal looked at Young and he said, you, you all, you know, you're kind of strange, these few people. You keep looking around all the time with your eyes and you have thin lips and, uh, and you, think with, you think with your head. And Young said, well, yeah, everybody thinks with their head. And Mirabal just said, <laughs> uh, so that now, now. So that, that, that should raise that question. Well, how can everyone now do that? In fact, that's not that. It's the opposite question. How can we not do that? I mean, the only way of not doing that is not being here. Mm -hmm. Meaning living abstractly. Mm -hmm. And fear is always an indication that not happening. It's not yeah. the yeah. again, you know, when when Columbus and those people landed and and uh, Columbus called the Native Americans the moment he saw them and who all came to greet them and <laughs> welcome them and uh, get to know who these what's wrong. And Columbus called them Indios not Indians, in Dios, in God, in God, in the land, in God. He immediately saw that that's, and then what did he do? Oh, he took a thousand of them to be slaves back. <laughs> Their greed, watch that sense of greed. It's so interesting. Even to that it goes to that level of uh, possessing human beings. Yeah.
So this business about greed <clears throat> and earth and extraction, um, there's another element that figures prominently around natives, and that's the extraction of uranium. Oh, yes, right. Yes, isn't that interesting? And, and it, so there's an interesting relationship with New York City. <laughs> I mean, because of the uranium and the, all, all, all of the major deposits of uranium are on Indian, on Native American reservations, all of them. I don't think it was planned that way. I think that the, you know, that we took the Native Americans, gave them places that seemed worthless, that turn out to be now, uh, unfortunately, it's perceived as valuable land. Mm. And the uh, so all of the in the in in the devising of the atomic bomb, all of the scientists and the planners and the financial people, they were housed in Empire State Building for years. That's where that's where it was all worked out mentally. <laughs> Not surprising. You have to go there, as well as all of the uranium that was being mined to, you know, to make the bomb was stored, held on Long Island. So that's an interesting relation to, between that and, and New Mexico, I mean, where the bomb was exploded. Yeah, you can almost see some kind of alchemy there that you're going to mm. extract it in New Mexico take it to the lab of New York mm -hmm. and then bring it back to New Mexico to detonate it. I know, isn't that strange? It's like baptizing it in greed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like you can't turn the raw uranium into the weapon of mass destruction unless you go to New York. Unless New York, you know, metaphorically, it's like saying, unless you enter the conceptual abstraction of removing greed from its intimacy with death and earth. Mm. And then see, it's like, then you have the tools to make an aramonic world. Uh, uh, that word aramonic. You know that again. That Steiner has this amazing notion of uh, it's what he calls the eighth sphere, and and that's the the work of Aramon is to is to make this eighth sphere, which is a it's a place that that looks just like Earth, but is all the only thing that happens there is materialism, and that that's and eventually Armon's aim is to you know be the sovereign figure of this place of pure materialism and in another place when somebody asked Steiner about the eighth sphere and he said well it's all around us here it is 
meaning he understood that the eighth sphere wasn't out there somewhere. Right. It's how we are with the earth here that can turn it into the eighth sphere. Mm -hmm. Meaning the place of, of pure materialistic forces. Mm -hmm. that, that, that are that are I mean you know the other the other aspect of that is is it the electromagnetic forces that are now dominating electromagnetism electromagnetism electricity in earth mm. magnetic mm -hmm. and that's the uh, danger we're in I mean, it's just that that we're being disembodied, becoming more and more disembodied. Mm -hmm. Hardened. And so we've reached this time, <clears throat> this amazing time where you know, I've often read things about empires when they fall. I'm not, I don't want to talk about America as an empire, but how they always seem to crumble right after the maximum development and extension of their power. Very important. Very important. In that, uh, if we just, again, look at it uh, descriptively, not you know, not you know, it's it's almost you know it's all well. This is this is a necessity in a certain way. Like I've I've puzzled for years and years and years about the over the Templars, you know, because the um, because the Templars invented every modern sense of the way that we. Um, utilize greed. The Templars started the system of credit, money, banks. They, you know, the. Uh, uh, at any rate, so so, but but how can the temple? And but they were also the Grail. They were completely connected with the Grail. How do those go together? And now, now we're kind of asking that same question. But I mean, it, it's not until we again really become absolutely conscious within the, the sense of death and greed, which is that we won't become conscious until that's at an end. Yeah. That's at an end one can look at it and say, oh my God, look what we did. But not, but don't take it as, as a judgment or anything. It's just, now then uh, something new awakens and that needed actually needed all that kind of spiritually oppositional forces in order for the heart forces to strengthen oh by the way i can't bypass this the, the, the native americans in that area of new york the Lenapa, the Delaware Indians, 
they, they're the ones that named Manhattan, Manahata, Manahata. And the word Manahata means the place of general intoxication. <laughs> you know, the intoxication, now that, that's, that's so, so, so interesting that, see, they, they knew of the forces of, of death and destruction within the earth and love. And they also knew you can become intoxicated with them. Oh. So at this moment of this heightened reality and growing awareness, it becomes, it appears to be becoming, people are, are losing the ability to deny death. No. And again, it is so interesting that the place where things begin to break down the materialism of the world, where that most is now shows as something else arising, is also New York City. I'm sorry, this is about New York City so much, but it is. But look now at the you know at the at the plaza that and everything that has happened that is a you know, a, a memorial to the event of 9-11. But it is so extraordinarily formed to be the opposite of what we've been describing as, as greed. Like, so the fountains there, the fountains go down. The water goes down. That's, that's the tears of the earth, the tears of the earth. The... Uh, <laughs> I know the, the, the architect of most of the plaza, Kalitrava, just an astounding architect. And, and he's also commissioned to do a transportation center right at the end of the plaza where everybody, it's the primary place where everybody comes in and out of New York City. And he, his first design was in the, in the architectural design, it was a gorgeous form that was in fact like an angel. It, it was intentional, but it didn't. You know, it was it was an image. It wasn't. A, it wasn't an imitation picture. It was very very beautiful, and the the uh, the authorities uh, in New York said it couldn't be built because it was too delicate. And so the, he had to redo it. But if you look at it now, the form of that building. It's like a, it's still in the form of an angel, but it's like a deformed angel. Mm -hmm. It's, it's you know, it had to bulk it up. And, and uh, so it's like more like an under underworld angel. But that's a wonderful image. You know, can, now the underworld can also, has a, has a spiritual dimension. Or the third structure there, is that the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church was destroyed. So their long process, they just finally completed that a couple of years ago. And But it's a Greek Orthodox Church. So, so it has the dome. The dome, see, where you feel the spiritual uh, layers of, you know, of the above coming down 
you know, and embracing Earth. Plus, they made that building in such a manner that the stone is translucent. So the light inside, you know, is the light of the Earth. Right. So you know, in one, in many, uh, I think that we, the, the, what we're seeing right now, that seems like an, it is an ending. That began to happen with, with this, recognition, in the place of greed is also the place now that recognizes the livingness of grief. Mm. which will in turn bring us into a more, if we are with the grief, we will be more embodied. We will be more earth-bodied. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, it's not true, I admit it's when we kind of work with, well, how is that going to happen? It doesn't, uh, so the, the, the hope we have this, this imagination, but uh, many, Pretty much every indigenous people have a version of it, which is, uh, but, but we have to try to do this descriptively. You know, there, there's, a, there's a sense among, in prophecies, the Hopi prophecies, they have to do with the tilting of the earth, that the, you know, the earth is tilting off of, off of due north. And it's, it's, the tilt is happening more and more rapidly. Mm. It's actually now about 64 degrees off of center. Really? <laughs> They're even having to, uh, you know, they have to make flight adjustments to, to keep up with this, because otherwise, you know. so, so they imagine at some point that the earth will flip. What was north will be south and vice versa. But but that's an that's an that's kind of an imagination of what you just said. You see, if you take it imaginally, it's like saying, "Oh, it's the entry into an awareness of the heartful earth." Mm -hmm. So it doesn't. So we don't. And it, it, but it also suggests, look, this is really, really, really radical, and we'll all feel it and experience it. It isn't somehow, see, we can't get there from greed directly. You can't do it. It's got to crumble. There's no, there's, you're not going to convince anyone who's within the imagination of greed. I mean, to give all that away, even though, even that's, Watch how greed has got a hold of that with the people who have enormous sums of money. They give away enormous sums of money, but they keep enormous sums of money. Yeah. So it's not really, it, it, it's an imagination of, well, with these forces of greed, we can make a better world. Yeah. But nothing has inwardly changed. Right. Hmm. And so even as things crumble, the forces of greed will try to manage that, but also in such a way, I mean, this is the whole 
disaster yeah. capitalism thing. Yeah. Every disaster now has become an opportunity. <laughs> well, again, it's really, really important, as you say, because those people who have these wonderful capacities, there are wondrous capacities of making money and thinking that way and and in the technology that we have, all that's coming from these forces. So they, they know this is an end point. They, they're very, very aware of this as an ending. So they're trying, they are working to manage that ending, not to stop it, but to manage it. <laughs> Meaning of, well, when everything ends, how can we still be in charge? Oh yes, technocracy. <laughs> we'll, we'll digitalize money. You know, we'll disembod disembody people so we become uh, uh, what kind of intelligence, uh, like artificial, <laughs> all of that. But take it as an imagination so you, you can see, um, uh, well, that, that remaining and developing the capacity of heartfulness is unending. It can't get to a point where we develop these kind of inner heart forces. And then we can say, well, great, now we have them. It can't be that. It has to be a constant way of living that it always balances these other, these other more harmonic forces and they can't be appropriated by those forces can they no no it's totally different but uh um can they even be seen by those forces i don't think so i mean i i, I say that from direct experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's that's just the, that's the way it is it, it doesn't matter it's not trying to make heart forces the see that's the difficulty in integral spiritual psychology at least at the beginning there is a tendency on my part too to see well heart awareness is uh, that's just a nice important way of developing as a human being in relation to other human beings and and it's therapeutic and it's certainly better than living kind of abstractly but the world the world dimension was not recognized if the world dimension that we've been talking about isn't recognized and worked with heart awareness speak can't endure, can't. There's no way that it can endure because it becomes like, now we've got it. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, it's like saying, or the same question, well, how do you ever get life in the sense of having it? Oh, now I have it. <laughs> you can gradually, gradually feel more of a sense of the mystery and the depth and the unendingness and the unfolding of life, but you can never, and so you can't say, well, this heartfulness is the answer. Right. You can't 
use it. It's not a tool to fix things. Um, you almost wonder if that word develop can't really not appropriate. It's not because again, when the when those people land in America, the first thing they did was start developing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. right. So develop, yeah. What do you, you know, development is a difficult word. It's uh, so getting no, noticing is a better word. Yeah, noticing is that is a mysterious word. I've been yes. lately. Yeah. Mysterious phenomena. Yeah. Particularly how you can remain in the heart and notice the surrounds. You see? Yeah. That's that's what we have to do. I mean, it's not like suddenly, see, again, if heartfulness becomes the way, we would lose, we would lose embodiment. We'd have a fantasy heart kind of experience. Right. I slide back and forth between the two. Of course. I mean, so do I. I mean, I don't, it's not at that place where it can be sustained. Right. Uh, a lot of that is still the habits, the habits that we live. But to do it, to be heartful in the presence of earth is so different than yeah. a chair. And, although the earth is in my chair too. Yes. <laughs> what well, isn't? Yeah, what is it? Yeah. yeah. And the, um, the, since it's really, it's not developing something, it's not doing practice to get somewhere, it's only practices of noticing. So it's just saying, well, here is, it's saying, we have to practice being completely natural. Mm. Isn't that strange? <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I don't think it's it's any in any sense what we think of as spiritual. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's just being completely, utterly natural. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much of being spiritual is just some kind of respite from here. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's uh, as well as I mean, and, and part of that is that I unfortunately don't have those capacities, mm -hmm. you know, like, like Steiner. I mean, and some other people who are able to really able to leave the body, go into fourteen different levels of the spiritual worlds, see what the beings are, and more than that, seeing that all of those levels are forming this this whole universe mm -hmm. and be able to see that and see which level it has to do with what and 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 develop it into some kind of practical work that's that's and that's it's not, i i it's astounding work i can't i've never been able to do it mm -hmm. uh, but i think that uh, 
fewer and fewer people will be able to do it because of this other strength of these other forces. Right. And yet, I don't know if it's just introducing a term that's not helpful, but there is an initiation to be had, a type of initiation in and of the earth. Yes. Yes. I'm saying that's that's the first one. If you bypass that, you know, all the others are 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 false. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And it also says there is no initiation without an anti-initiation also going on. So again, that says initiation doesn't mean I've got it. <laughs> now we, we can do that. If it's understood that way, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's confined. It's going back into the whole fix it. Yeah. yeah. So if initiation means the, um, the emergence of, New, newly created capacities in the world, then anti-initiation is something that rises up organically to meet that. Yeah, um, it, it absolutely is constantly. I mean, it, uh, this this being of it's called Aramon, and I mean, is a permanent being. He's not saying, "Well, I give up." <laughs> right. No banishing Ariman. Yeah, and uh, and that's not see the in a way we could say that's evil, force of evil. And but evil is not evil, in as long as it's kept in connection with the good or heart. Evil is a is a certain kind of a necessary force because it keeps us developing. Sorry to. Use the word we, we just got it. keeps us noticing. Yeah. I think one of the real obstacles to thinking this way, or even maybe perceiving this way, is um, that it starts, it, it's, it's so impersonal. Yes. You know, I, I'm, I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I, I'm living in a time where there's some sort of almost cosmic conflict happening. And what on earth does that mean for me? Right. <laughs> 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 right. Yes. Well, I mean, that, uh, you know, the me, me goes with the domain of Arman. With what? Um, R, that's R, the me, me is the Aramonic version of the I. I, you know, I mean, I is not me. Like, you know, uh, as you know, that we, 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 everybody speaks of themselves as I. I, I can't, I can't say to you, hi, hi, how are you? <laughs> so that's the, you know that's the that's this 
ever-present spirit within us. And that, what happens with the heartfulness is a kind of a dissolving of the me and the awakening of the I. So the question of, well, what does this all have to do with me? Disappears because the me is actually the I that is us and the world and the cosmos as one. It's the part of uh, the the eye is a part senses itself as part of the whole. Yeah, I mean because it's not, but it's not something. So it, it is the awareness of the wholeness and multiplicity as intimately one, intimately. That's why it's interesting it's in, in relation to psychology and, and its legacy of, you know, one-on-one. <laughs> and uh, because in, 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 when I, in working with people to awaken the heart capacities, uh, we don't talk, we, we stay away pretty much from me or understand the stories of me in terms of, of heartfulness. What happens all the time is that any so-called psychological difficulties that people bring, they begin to dissolve without directly trying to focus on them because the soul then has a way into its place within the wholeness of the world which is, in the first place, the so-called difficulties have to do with that. I mean, you know, mean, means we get confined and we can't sort of get out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Fear, alienation, yeah. despair. And, and being completely affected by these outer forces that kind of, you know, in their own ways take over. So paradoxically or not, it's only by coming into relationship with the forces that you think are oppressing you that you may be freed of the tyranny of those forces. Yeah. I mean, in a way, psychology, at least depth psychology, understand that. I mean, so so that, you know, say if you work in a Jungian fashion and you work with dreams and images and and, and a person tells you a dream, you, you listen for, well, how are these images, you know, here, not, not here. And once you have a sense of, oh, all my anger and furiousness, and, and that's kind of very Martian, <laughs> Mars, the fiery, and you can feel that imagistically, then, then we have a sense of, oh, this belongs. And it, in its belonging, it changes from being, you know, uh, uh, directed and, 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 and destructive and all of that, it becomes, it becomes a will force in the world, within the whole, can do something in the whole of the world. So I'm just only to say that in that 
integral spiritual psychology is in that stream. I don't want to deviate too much, but it's in that stream, but it's the two, as I, from where I sit, the two places where it's distinctive from that stream would be its orientation towards the future and its, um, its, 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 its primary focus with earth and body. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's very very right, um, and and when, just to clarify, I, I know you understand, you sense it this way. Future doesn't mean the day after tomorrow. It means this aspect of creating, happening, and becoming is the ever present presence of time stream from the future but you're right no i don't know anyone in depth psychology uh that has any has that kind of sense mm -hmm. and so that makes a divide i don't have many Jungian friends <laughs> really not down in greenbury texas yes right um Oh, it was just there. The future. Oh yes. So what this really does, maybe this isn't this isn't really as relative to depth psychology, but it means that there's an acknowledgement that causality oh. is only one lens through which to look at things, and it doesn't, it's not even it's not really accurate. Yeah. And yet we are yeah. by the ideas of causality, past leading to future, logically necessary developments. Yeah, it's beautiful and really important because it also oh, makes us pay attention to this necessity of when heart awareness begins to awaken in some of the things that we've described. Then the effort and the endeavor is to be consistent. Uh, and that's, that, that's, that's more difficult to remain consistent as you're doing now. Uh -huh. That answers or responds to yeah, you. No, no, it does. It does. <laughs> Remaining consistent is very different that than I got in a fight with my wife and I need to get centered and I'll go into my heart. Well, here it means in the world, see, so so that so we have this sense of world heartfulness that is always in connection with body, soul, death, even greed. Uh, and how but then how to live that. See, and that's where consistency comes in. Yeah. If I if I have that, but then I'm out in the world, I forget it. So, for and you're right. Then in the world, things don't happen causally anymore. Yeah. They don't. They happen synchronistically is the word. But synchronicity means like oh, there's like holes in the 
in the lin in linear time there are holes <laughs> and 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 these show up in the world again like you know, I said like like in the Peter Kingsley speaks of, you're sitting there and you feel like golly I really want a donut the the work is to is to is to pay attention to that get up and go get a donut because it's not about the donut if you go there, you'll notice something in the world because that was drawing you to notice the future arriving within the world. And you'll you'll notice, I don't know what it would be, but it would be, it's not the donut. <laughs> right. And if you're thinking causally, yeah. you're thinking that's weird or I'm hungry and I want a donut. Yeah, period. <laughs> um, it's so funny. This morning when I was just kind of drinking coffee and getting ready, so synchronicity, synchronous phenomena is in a way it is awareness of it and it's sort of growing ubiquity or whatever is symptomatic of the breakdown. Yes. And what it seems to suggest is that it means now things are much more fluid and dynamic and a very small thing can affect, tr tr you know, it's a butterfly effect now. Right. Exactly. And we have no way of knowing what that thing will be that the tributary just moves in a different direction. Yeah. But again, the, the, I was thinking of the donut again. And, but, and, and being, to be in connection with this anti-initiation and how it works. So it says, uh, Golly, it's a hell of a lot of work to get in your car to go get a donut you, when you can call a delivery person. Mm -hmm. And the other person says, oh, well, we have this machine now, you know, that can squeeze out donuts as fast as you need them. <laughs> you know? See, that's all there, too. And, 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 the, and with that, you don't have to do anything. You just have to, you just have to let go of some of your greed so that your greed will increase so you have more to let go into these things. That's all going on and it's not like that goes away. Right. It's not that's but now we're saying yes but it, that thank you because that helps me work stay at, and it takes a constant kind of awareness so that this can never become habitual consciousness. Right. Right. So what was the word you used a minute ago? Consistency? Yes. Yeah. Means that uh, right now I do this too. I would talk this way and work this way and work with people this way and go out and work with nature this way. But then I go to town and, you know, and I, and then not, it, I, I fall back into the habits. Or even right here. See, like, there's, there's this enormous problem with the way that the way we are in relation here, because in itself, this removes heartfulness. This medium absolutely removes it. Uh, um, so, 
So a, a deliberate effort has to be going on. Otherwise, it'll 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 be this will be taken as information. And uh, if it happens to interest me, <laughs> somebody looking, well, that makes sense to me, then they'll watch it. But I don't know see, if the sense of uh, it takes a long, long time for this awakening to the fullness of earth and who she is and how hard and hard and earth are enfolded that that can't get across, can't get through the screen. <laughs> no. But we 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 make the effort, we try to presence heartfulness to each other through the medium, which is probably the only thing we can do. Yeah. Assuming we're in this medium. As well as this other awareness. Never, 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 ever lose this awareness of what we went through is who's here also. <laughs> and not pretend like it's you and me and we can be in the heart. It's you and me and heart. Oh, and Oramon. Yes. That, that's the trick of Araman is to remain invisible and powerful. To even try to realize the eighth sphere in the conversation about earth, heart, and awareness. Yeah. <laughs> we could have gone a long time Oh my gosh. Piers, I don't know how to thank you for the courage. Courage is the beautiful word. It means, you know, the doing of heart. So I am so grateful for your taking this on and uh, working diligently, inwardly, contemplatively, and it makes possible these Really, really wonderful conversations. Thank you. Well, I can't thank you enough, and I'm thanking you also on behalf of the audience. So I've heard a lot of wonderful things. Well, I hope we can find a way to continue in some manner later. No, it's just going to be the arduous process of agreeing on what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we leave, I want to give you an opportunity to tell tell the audience about your new website. Oh, thank you, yes. It's, it's this really kind of remarkable, <laughs> strange website, as you might expect, in that uh, in addition to articles and blogs, and uh, it also has video and audio and has this Facebook-like dimension where people can speak with each other, but within depth, within the depth of what's, what's being presented. Like all of these are, all of our conversations are on there. And there's a lot of, there's some a, a series of videos on that help uh, kind of get a sense of what is integral spiritual psychology. 
any rate, it's www.rsardello.com. But there's a there's a slight fee, a yearly small fee, that's just intended to, you know, attract the people who are interested enough to then go ahead and join. And uh, the next step I know what we'll do, we'll have conversations on that. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. Great, thank you. All right, well, you have a good day. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at resistancerecovery.com.